Thank you for tuning into this sermon from New Life Student Ministries. Our goal is to inspire, equip, and support our students and families with biblically rich and God-centered teaching. These messages are meant to be supplemental and not substitutional for our weekly gathering. We hope this sermon is a blessing to you and your spiritual walk. We are going to close out the book of Judges tonight. Um, If you have your Bibles, Judges 13 is where we are going to start. We are going to, to conclude with arguably one of the, if not the most popular judge in the book of Judges, a man named Samson. How many of you have heard of Samson before? Just by, actually not as many as I thought there would be. There's a reason why, like, we hear of Samson. Samson's a unique story. We are a culture that's fascinated with, like, the supernatural. And maybe even beyond supernatural, we can say, like, the superhuman, right? This is why, like, Disney Plus gets, like, mainly all of their, like, subscribers because they have all of Marvel on there. And then you had quarantine and like COVID happened. It was like movie theaters shut down. So they like started coming out with TV shows. And so the only way you could keep up was like tracking on Disney Plus with like WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which ended this last weekend. And like there's all of these plans for like more superhero movies to come out and they do so well. Why? We're fascinated with it. We're fascinated of, with people who have like abilities outside like human Limitations. Then you can kind of go to like the off-brand Marvel and you have like the DC universe. And then like if you're on like HBO Max, you know, they just released like the Snyder Cut of, of you know, like what's the word I'm thinking of? Justice League. And I'll admit it was a little bit better. But still, it's not as good. We're fascinated with superhuman. And this is why Samson is some of the most like, one of the most like remarkable stories to be remembered Because if I were to ask you who's Samson, most people go, he was really strong. Really strong, and he had lots of hair, right? Really strong, and he had lots of hair. And and if you grew up in church, likely, not majority, but likely, it was kind of in the sense like this guy was seen as like one of the more unique biblical heroes. But as we read this story tonight, you're going to realize this actually isn't the case. This is actually a pretty depressing, pretty sad story. Um, full of sexual brokenness, full of a guy who, though he was set apart by the Lord, was riddled with compromise all throughout his life. Um, and so there's one theme that I want you to take note of tonight as we, as we walk through the story of Samson, okay? Samson, and it's this, God is sovereign. Let me hear you say it. God is sovereign. Now here's the thing. I want you to think of sovereign within this light tonight. One of the major questions we get like on the sovereignty of God is how does God like kind of oversee all things in creation? In other words, there's nothing like surprised by God, but God's sovereignty works more specifically. Now I want to give you a definition for it. Can we put it on the screen? I want you to think of God's sovereignty tonight as him working all things to accomplish his purpose. All things to accomplish his good plan, his good purpose, one of those veins. The fact that God actually, from the beginning of time to now to the end of time, will take everything that's broken, everything that's good, everything that's righteous, everything that's evil, and he will work it to accomplish his good plan. This is what makes him God, that he stands over all things. And here's what I want you to notice tonight. In Samson's life, God accomplishes the very plan that he had for Samson's life despite what Samson did with his life. Are you with me? And I want you to pay attention to this tonight because it's easy to sit back and like judge what's going on in Samson's life. But my prayer for you is that you're going to begin to see yourself uh, in the midst of this story. So that being said, we got a lot of text to get through. We got a lot of storytelling. So let's pause and let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for the privilege that it is just to be here tonight, just to be a a youth group. Lord, I pray pray you would just help us all take a deep breath, a deep breath. Lord, I I, I pray that you would give us eyes to see you, uh, minds to understand you, ears to hear you. In Romans 10, 17, the Apostle Paul says, faith comes by hearing. And hearing of the word of God. So, Lord, we need to hear you tonight. 
And I pray that you would give us hope. Hope in the finished work of your son on the cross and in his resurrection. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you surround us? Would you be among us? Would you teach us tonight in your precious and holy name? And if you're with me tonight, say amen. Amen. All right, Genesis 13. I'm going to give the first five verses here. And then we're going to hop to Genesis 16. But it says this. It should sound pretty familiar. And again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. And a certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. And the angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other, or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines, okay? So this is what we have happening. Israel does yet again what is evil in the sight of the Lord. And instead of raising up somebody unexpected, God does something really unique here. He goes to this man and to his wife and he says, look, you are going to have a child. And this is what's going to happen. Because you're barren, because you're childless, when you do become pregnant, I don't want you to drink no booze. And after you drink no booze, you're going to have this child and I don't want you to ever cut his hair. Because he's going to be a Nazarite. He's going to be dedicated to the Lord from the time he is in the womb. And so I'll give you a little bit of a spoiler. They have a child. It's a young boy and they name him Samson. Now Samson is extremely unique because a razor never touches his head. He never cuts his hair. And because so, he has this like, like this super soldier serum strength. That's just nuts. And I'm about to tell you some of the things that he does right here. But God says, it's going to be this young man that I'm going to utilize to lead Israel out of the oppression of the Philistines. And so Samson grows. He becomes a strong man. But this man has like an Achilles heel. He has a weakness, no pun intended. He has quite the lust for women. And so when we hit Genesis 14, it opens up that actually he identifies a Philistine woman. Not an Israelite woman. A Philistine woman. A woman of the people that he is supposed to annihilate. And he says, I want to marry her. So he goes to his parents and he says, I want to marry this woman. And his parents say, no, can't you, can't you find one of your own people, one from the Israelite nation? And he goes, no, she is right in my own eyes. You notice a theme here in Judges. He sees what's right in his own eyes. And he tells his parents, no, she's right in my own eyes. I want her as my wife. So his parents, kind of having a weak spine, say, okay. So they go and they get this woman to be his wife. And as they're on their way to this village, the village of Timnah, he comes and his parents are ahead of him and a lion comes upon him. And the scripture says he takes the lion and he tore it apart with his bare hands. It's gross. Throws it aside. But it doesn't end there. It says when he's then coming back, he looks at the lion, he sees the carcass and he sees honey or bees inside the lion. So he goes and he reaches inside the carcass and he takes the honey and he eats it. Like a weirdo. It's like, dude, that's how you get like Giardia and stuff like that. And then he goes and gives it to his parents. But he doesn't say, hey, I took this out of the carcass of a dead lion. Then he gets married. And then he's got 30 companions around him. And he goes, okay, hey, if you can answer this riddle, I'll give you all of these fine garments. So he gives this weird riddle, kind of talking about like, hey, what was like the eater and something sweet and da-da-da-da, something about the lion, and they can't figure out what it is. And so for a week, he gives them the opportunity to answer this riddle. They can't figure it out. So they go to his wife and they say, hey, get the wife out of your husband. So she usurps the answer out of Samson. He gives it to her. She goes and gives it to them. They come back and tell him the answer, and he gets mad and just beats the mess out of them. All 30 of them. Then his father-in-law is not pleased with what he did. So his father-in-law goes and gives his wife to another man. This gets weird. I kid you not. 
This is Samson's response. He goes and he catches 300 foxes. 300 foxes, he rallies them together. If you were in man time, this is where we get Samson and the fox from, okay? He takes 300 foxes and he pairs them one to another and he ties their tails together and then lights them on fire. Then he sends them into the vineyards and the olive groves of the Philistines to burn all of their crop just because he's mad. So then you have all the Philistines go, what the heck just happened? Who did this? And they go, that Philistine woman or father, like that guy, Samson. So their just response is they go and they kill Samson's wife and his father-in-law. And so then they go looking for Samson and Samson runs and he hides in this, this, this rock. And so the Philistines come to the tribe of Judah and they say, give us this man, Samson. So Judah freaking out, not wanting to fight the Philistines. They go and they get Samson and they say, hey, these people want you. They want to kill you. And he goes, hey, as long as you're not willing to fight me, I'll let you bind me and take me to them. They say, okay. So they bind his hands. He shows up to the Philistines. And then it says that he just breaks his bonds like flax, like they're nothing. <laughs> he picks up the fresh jawbone of a donkey and kills a thousand men. Like a thousand men. Like with the jawbone of a donkey. I mean, like, this is not like a story of David where he had like a slingshot or like, you know, like, like it, the job of a donkey was his weapon of choice. Beats the tar out of a bunch of men. Then we kind of see him kind of digress. He goes to the city of, of Gaza or Gaza and he sees a Philistine prostitute and he goes, mm, I want to have sex. So he goes and he sleeps with this prostitute. The men of Gaza go surround him and then he goes and he rips the gates off the city of Gaza and just walks out. I, I know, this just gets weirder and weirder. Then we get to the awe-infamous story of this woman named Delilah. And this is where I want to pick up right here, Judges 16, verse 4. Bear with me, I know this is weird. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. And the rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. And each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. And Samson answered her, if anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him with them. And with men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. And then Delilah said to Samson, you have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. So he said, if anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. Then with men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. And Delilah said to Samson, all this time you have, made, uh, have been making me a fool. Oh my gosh, read Tim. All this time you have been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. And so again, he replied, if you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric on the loom and tighten it with a pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into the fabric and tightened them with a pin. And again, she called him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he awoke from his sleep and he pulled the pin and the loom with the fabric. And she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? Ooh, you ladies, I'm mischievous. How can you say I love, we, love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day, notice here, until he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me 
and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more. He has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him and his strength left him. And then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. There's probably no sadder verse in the Bible than that right there. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Verse 21, then the Philistines seized him. They gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shekels. And they set him to grinding grain in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. So what we have here is Samson goes to the full extent of compromise. He tells her how he is to lose his strength. She does it. He's come. He's taken by the Philistines. They gouge out his eyes. They make him blind. They put him in the prison. Then we have this moment where we have all the leaders of the Philistines coming together to celebrate. They want to be entertained. So this is what they do. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may, I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, sovereign Lord, remember me, please, God, Strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistine from my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood. Bracing himself against them, he placed his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus, he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to which all God's people said. Thanks be to God. It's a pretty sad story. It's a pretty sad story. A man who had all the promise, all the opportunity. Like we're, we're given a biblical account of God actually making a superhero. Like super strength and like, like he's like given this heavenly serum and he turns out to be more like John Walker than Steve Rogers. It's unsatisfying, right? It's like you had so much potential, so much potential. But there's a couple things that I want you to notice about the sovereignty of God here. With Samson's life, and remember, I want you to be careful here, not to be so quick to judge his life and maybe think you could have done better I mean, I obviously would love to see what it would be like to fight a thousand people with the jawbone of a donkey. That would be awesome. But where are we in this, where are we in this story and who is God revealing himself to be in this story? There's a couple things that I want you to notice about the sovereignty of God. And I, I want to kind of hit on a topic that's a little bit tender and it's a little bit taboo in our culture. But at the same time, it's all over our culture. And that's just the reality of sexual immorality tonight. Sexual immorality. I think this is something that just like plagues humanity. Plagues humanity. And this is kind of one of the reasons we split tonight because I want to be able to talk to you straight. Is that okay? I want to talk to you tonight about God's sovereignty and then what we see with Samson's life in terms of sexual morality. But this is the first thing that I want you to notice. Point number one is that God has a plan and purpose for all that he creates. He has a plan and he has a purpose for all that he creates. Remember, we're understanding God's sovereignty as God works all things to accomplish his good plan. And we notice at the beginning of Judges 13, before Samson was even born, before his mom was pregnant, he comes to Samson's parents and he says, you are going to bear a child. And it's through this child, no matter what your child's going to do with their life, how pathetic it's going to be, I'm going to use him to deliver my nation, my people, 
out of the oppression, out of slavery from the Philistines. Before even Samson makes a mistake with his life, God has a plan for it. And I need you to hear me say this to you tonight. It's the same case for every man and every woman in this room. He has a plan. He has a purpose for your life. And he had it before you were born. He had it before you were born. We, we know this when we read Psalm 139, right? We get this text that says, you know what, like, you, you being humanity, you are fearfully and wonderfully made by the God of the universe. This is true of every person in this room. He, in fact, says, the creator knit you together in your mother's womb. You are on purpose. You want to know the main reason. I know God exists is because there is not a person in this room that is like anybody else on earth. I'm looking at maybe 120, 130 high school students, all of you different, all of you with a personality that's different, all of you with a different DNA, all of you who have been uniquely made for a certain time, for a certain purpose, for a certain plan. And you need, you need to hear that God, God didn't just like kind of create you and say, okay, figure it out. Like, you are on purpose. You're on purpose. Like, someone who has a plan and who's intentional with something, like, speaks that they care about that thing. You know what I mean? Let me give you an example. Six and a half years ago, I got permission to propose to my bride. And, like, the engagement process is a really unique process, isn't it? It's like that moment in the relationship where it's like, what's the guy going to do? How creative is he going to be when he proposes to her? And there's so many things that go into this. How is he going to do it? Where is he going to do it? Is he going to do it by themselves? Is he going to do it with people present? Is he going to do it like out in nature so it's like really pretty for pictures? Is he going to do it somewhere that's like surprising in front of a ton of people? Then there's like the areas that it's like he's got to pick out the ring. And there's like kind of two types of men in the world. There's the type of men that like, have the stones to go try to pick out the ring and hope she likes it. And then there's those who are like, I ain't going to try to gamble on it. I'm going to bring her with me, let her kind of pick out what kind of thing she likes. But when I went to propose to my wife, when you have a man going to propose to his bride, it takes planning, purpose, intentionality. Why? Because he cares about her. He cares about her. I wanted Mariah Grace Musser at the time to know that there was no other woman who had captivated my heart like her on December 24th, 2015, when I got down on one knee and I said, will you marry me? It communicated love to my bride. If you can believe that all that God creates, he has a plan, he has a purpose for, what that means is that God patiently, uniquely, and specifically, knit you together in your mother's womb. Why? Because he has a plan and he has a purpose for your life. Are you with me? God's sovereignty always works to accomplish that plan in your life. Always works to accomplish that plan in your life. But there's this thing. There's this thing that seeks to corrupt that plan. And it's called sin. It's called sin where from some way, shape, or form, we trade in our image of God and our view of God as the one who is Lord over our life, and we either put ourselves there or something else there. And sin seeks to corrupt. It seeks to corrupt, and this is what we saw with Samson. It sought to corrupt his purpose, and it was the lust of not just one woman, but several women and the desire for something that was not his, did not belong to him, that begins to corrupt this purpose. And I want to suggest to you tonight that this is what sexual immorality does. Is it weaves its way into to putting itself right in front of our face and begins to kind of sow these seeds. And here's the thing. The first time we see sin mentioned in the Bible is in Genesis 4, 7, we have this moment where you have uh, Adam and Eve's two sons, Cain and Abel. 
Cain being the oldest, Abel being the youngest. And Abel is tending to a flock and you have Cain who's, who's like a gardener. And both of them bring an offering to the Lord. And Abel, the younger brother, brings his first and his best and Cain does not. And Cain watches as God acknowledges Abel's offering but yet ignores his offering and he puts his head down and God goes, why is your head down? Like, don't you know that sin is crouching at your door? It seeks to have all of you. You have to rule over it. He's saying, there is something that lives within you that desires to put itself before me. And it's waiting for you to just simply embrace it. It's crouching at your door. It's crouching at your door. You can't give in to it. You have to rule over it. And when we look at Samson, this is what the case was. He's dedicated from before he was born as a Nazarite, a man to deliver Israel. And yet, sin comes knocking. It comes knocking by means of temptation. Temptation. There's three things that I want to say to you tonight in regards to temptation. I think if we are going to be men and women who follow Jesus, who love him, who care for him, we have to understand maybe in some way, shape, or form, for lack of better words, what the, what the battle plan of the enemy is for our lives. And tonight, this is the case for all sin. But I want to specifically get after sexual immorality tonight. Let me define sexual immorality. The idea that you would put your body and what your body desires before submitting it to God. This comes in the form of pornography. This comes in the form of lust. This comes in the form of having a sexual partner before you're married. And so that we're clear on terms, I'm not just talking about you going the whole nine yards with a sexual partner. But you doing anything that degrades or devalues or takes from another human being something that doesn't belong to you. Are you with me tonight? And I want you to hear me. I'm saying this in love. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to put us all under the same banner and the same need of grace tonight. But this is what the enemy does. He begins to come at us with sin, and he leads with pleasure. This is how all sin begins, especially sexual immorality. This kind of idea that comes knocking at the door. It's kind of weird. I don't want to fall because I'm broken. <laughs> sin comes knocking. Comes knocking. Isn't it cool how I'm walking right now? I feel really cool about that. <laughs> Yeah. It comes knocking, and this is usually how it begins. It begins with offering a simple promise that this will make your life better. This will make you feel better. This will make you feel significant. This will make you feel good. What I'm offering you, as sin might say, will add to your life. Comes knocking. And here's usually how this works. We don't necessarily open the door to sin, but we appeal to it, don't we? This might come in the form of you scrolling on social media. Something comes up that you know that you shouldn't look at. You know you're strong, but you hold and look just a little bit longer. Or this comes in the form of a relationship that you might have with a boyfriend or with a girlfriend, and you've been in a relationship for a while and the relationship's kind of moving forward and so you kind of don't want to stay stagnant. You want to show this person that you love them more and more, that you care about them more and more. And I want you to hear me say, that's natural. God made you that way. I'm gonna get so bold with y'all here tonight. Like, oh boy, I could get in trouble. <laughs> you know that God made you biologically like biologically to want certain things and that you don't need to feel guilty about that. I'm talking about sex, just so we're clear. <laughs> right? 
Like, and here, here's what I think happens in church. We don't talk about this, right? Sex always becomes this idea of don't, 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 don't. Run away, run away, run away. Turn your head, turn, turn, get, get away from it. Hustle away from it. Like squash that in your life, destroy that in your life. It's sin. And then you get married and you're supposed to enjoy it. It's like, this has been like, this, I see this as bondage. Then all of a sudden you say, I, I do, and everything's supposed to change. No. God made you. God made you. He designed you. Like, like, my goodness, I'm trying not to spoil certain things. Like he made Adam and Eve. And what did he tell them to do? Be fruitful and multiply. Go have yourself some children. Lots of children. Give birth to the world. And I know, I know this is awkward. It's okay. It's a safe place to be awkward. But I need you to hear me say, you don't need to feel guilty for the way God designed you. I don't want you to hear me say you need to feel guilty for caring about somebody. Now, it's not what I'm trying to tell you. But what God says and what we have from God's word is he's like, look, sex is this gift from God that's to be enjoyed in one place and one place only between one husband, one wife, in the beauty of marriage. I want you all to have great sex when you're married. Are you uncomfortable yet? I thought I'd get some amens right there. I'm gonna get 30 emails from parents tomorrow. What in the Lord's name did you say to my child? I stand by it. I stand by it. I pray. I pray. I pray. I pray that every man, every woman, and, and here's the thing. I don't believe it's for every man and woman to get married with their life. I believe some, God calls some people to be single. So there's no, there's no idea that you're only going to enjoy God in this regard if you get married. Now, if you choose to be single for the rest of your life, like, all power to you. And God is for you. But for every man and for every woman in this room tonight who will be married one day, I pray that you have great sex with your spouse. <laughs> and you know what? I do agree that it is awkward, but I don't think that statement should be awkward in church. I think you guys should hear right now that that's what God's created you for. And he desires for you to enjoy it. And he wants you to have it. But he wants you to have it in the beauty of his gift of marriage between one man, one woman. And it is to be delighted in. And the enemy knows that. So what does he do? He comes knocking. And he says, you know what will make your life better? Is if you try it now. Start tasting and putting your hand, putting your mind, putting your eyes, putting your life into something that doesn't belong to you. You know why? Because it'll feel good. And, and it'll make somebody else that you're with maybe feel good. And it comes like, and it gets really appealing. And this is the message the world's screaming at you right now. This is why marriage isn't celebrated anymore. It's like we kind of see it as, oh, those are kind of the chains to make like a relationship struggle. No, that's the fire to make a relationship intimate because that's the way God made it. It's the way God made it. And I can promise you this, it's going to come knocking. And I don't have to bet, I know. I know that in some cases and in some ways, whether it's through lust, whether it's through porn, whether it's through some form of sexual addiction, whether you are in a sexual relationship with a boyfriend or a girlfriend right now, this has already come knocking and it leads with pleasure. This will make you feel good. And you know, to a point it does. You know why? Because it's a gift from God. The way God created your body was meant to be a gift to you. It's meant to be a delight for you. But it leads with pleasure. This is why the, the serpent in the garden led with, did God really say, dot, dot, dot. Do you really think 
that God is the best for you? This is how it kind of comes at you. And this is how it begins. Do you really think, like, isn't God withholding from you? As a 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 year old, isn't he withholding from you? Don't you know you could have it now? Don't you know you could enjoy it now? That's how it always starts. But then the second method of temptation is that it heaps on shame. And this is what will end up happening. It begins to knock. You appeal to it, but it doesn't push you far enough. Then, then these kind of words start coming into your mind. Do you really think you can live life without this? Do you really think you'll ever be good enough to be in a relationship with God? Do you really think this God that you're trying to live your life for really will be pleased with the person that you are? And we have this scheme and attack of the enemy that with leading with pleasure and with heaping on shame, he begins to get after the root, which is attacking God's people's identity. Did God really say, don't you know that if you were to just be the Lord of your life, life would be so much better? And it knocks over and over and over. And God says, look, sin is crouching at the door. And you know what knocking does? You ever had one of them just like overwhelmingly irritating like door salesmen who just... You annoyed yet? Like just keeps coming and coming and coming and coming and coming and just keeps knocking, 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 knocking. You get home from practice, keeps knocking, knocking, knocking. You wake up tired, keeps knocking, knocking, knocking. Keeps coming at you. And then what does sin do? It capitalizes on weariness. You realize you have no more strength to keep the door shut. So we open up our lives the same way Samson did to something less than what God would have for us. Something less than what God would have for us. And then you want to know what the enemy loves to do then? Condemn the living H-E double hockey sticks out of you. The guilt, the shame, after you open the door, after you've embraced something that you shouldn't, you, you clicked on something and you meditate, you looked on something that you shouldn't have with porn, you were doing things inappropriately in your room, you're doing things inappropriately with a boyfriend, with a girlfriend, with someone, maybe you don't even know. And you know what's really sad is that's just a normal thing in our culture. Like you, you want to you be different when you get to college? You want to be different in high school? Take a stand and decide now that God is better. That God is better. Because I tell you what, you will be a rare case. You'll be a rare case. And even if you've stepped over the line, I need you to hear me say tonight, the gospel by definition means you're not beyond redemption. I thought that would get more amens. Like... Like, you, you, you're sitting here and you're looking at all the kids who come to church who got their lives together and they're so cute. And, you know, they may be virgin. They might not have ever kissed nobody. And maybe hold hands. God wants relationship with you. With you. Today. And my prayer is, is oh, oh, it's 737. I still got two points. Like, my prayer for you tonight is that every form of guilt, shame, and condemnation would he be given to the person of Jesus Christ here this evening? Point number two that God's sovereignty does is he works in the midst of our brokenness. This is why the gospel is good news. I want you to notice, he calls Samson 
And then in the midst of Samson going and marrying a Philistine woman, in the midst of Samson going and sleeping with a prostitute, in the midst of Samson going and loving a Philistine woman but doesn't marry her, Delilah, what is God doing? Do you remember what his call on Samson's life was? To rid the Israelites of the Philistines. In the midst of his brokenness, he's lighting foxes on fire and destroying crops. He's killing a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. In his death, he takes out every Philistine leader. You hear me say tonight, I know that every person, every person who's in this room, including myself, who walked through these doors tonight, is broken right now. And you need to hear, God's still interested in using you. He's still interested in using you. He's still interested in caring for you as one who created you with a plan and with a purpose. He's still interested. He works in the midst of your brokenness. You're wrestling, Satan's knocking, you're dancing on that line, you're going back and forth, you're in the middle of a relationship right now that you know you should have no business partaking in, but you really care about the person. You're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. You know you have things in your life right now that need to be sifted out, that you need to get rid of, and you're on the line trying to debate, should I get rid of it, should I not get rid of it? Should I keep looking at this stuff, should I not keep looking at this stuff? Whatever it's going to be, I need you to hear me say, God is still interested in utilizing you. But it comes with his purpose in sanctifying you. The gospel is not that he is going to simply run to you in your brokenness, find you there and go, I want to I utilize you still for my glory. It's he's going to come to you. He's going to pick you up. And he says, I love you. We're here, but we're not going to stay here. We're not going to stay here. You're going to be my people. Let me show you what sexual freedom looks like. I'm going to show you that there's actually a way to live a life that's not wrestling with pornography. You need to hear me say tonight, you can live a life free of that addiction. It doesn't need to be in your life. You can live a life where you actually understand that God's purpose for sex comes to the place and is for the place of marriage. And you can wait. In the same way that he created you for it, he created you that you could wait. You could wait. You could wait. You could wait. Why? So that you would see you exist for his glory. God can do it. He works in the midst of our brokenness. But he doesn't just work in the midst of our brokenness. And this is where it comes true for all of us tonight. Point three, he works in spite of our brokenness. God doesn't need you to obey to accomplish what he's going to do with his people, with this world. But he invites you to. He invites you to. Our rebellion, our sin, always, always has consequences, and it should. It should. I'm not going to tell you that getting out of a relationship that you're in, if you're sexually active right now, um, it's going to be easy. It's going to be hard. It's going to be really hard. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that breaking a porn addiction is going to be easy. It's going to be hard. It's going to be costly. You're going to have a lot of moments in your life where the enemy's going to come knocking. And you're going to have this little voice in your mind that's going to say, this seems like a lot of loss and not much gain. This seems like a lot of sacrifice with not much gain. To which I want to remind you of a man. I want to remind you of a man who on the night that he was betrayed sat in this garden weeping, sweating, 
praying. I want to invite the worship team to go ahead and come up right now. Weeping, sweating, praying. And he sat there and he gives this prayer to his heavenly father. He said, Lord, Father, if there be any other way for this cup to pass from me, could you do it? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. You understand that when Jesus said this prayer, he understood that God's plan and purpose for his life within the next 24 hours was to go hang on a cross. That's a lot of loss with what seems to be not much gain. And yet, Jesus knew that obedience to his heavenly father was a far more prized possession than Jesus' will being done. Can you stand with me? I'm not stupid. I'm not naive. The type of message I just gave you is not super common to give to high school students. People aren't willing to talk about this stuff. And I think that's why we are increasingly becoming a more sexually broken culture. Increasingly. But I also know that what comes with such brokenness, such sin, is so much shame. So much shame. And I know you guys can't see it, but I can see it. I'm like blind and I can feel the shade and cloud over faces in this room. I didn't come to discourage you tonight. I came to give you good news. That the God of the universe, the God of the universe, the Apostle Paul says it this way in Ephesians 1.4. Can we put it on the screen, Abby? That before the foundation of the world, the creation of the world, he chose you in him to be holy and blameless. Like, like, before you were made, he knew he was going to make you, and he knew what your life would be like. He knew what Samson's life would be like. He knows what your life has been like. He knows what it will be like. He knows what the rest of your life looks like. He knows that you're broken. Every one of us, even the self-righteous person in this room who goes, I don't need to hear this. He knows that you need him. He knows that you need a savior. This is why we can't just let these words from Jesus, like the, that all famous verse that we all learned as three-year-olds, for God so loved the world, as in for God saw all your brokenness, he saw all your pain, he saw all your sexual immorality, and yet he chose you. He knew you were broken before you were even broken. He knew you'd be sitting in here tonight knowing everything that you've done, everything that you're wrestling with, riddled with shame. You know what he wants to do? He wants to set you free. He wants to get down on your level, look you in your optic stems, and tell you that he loves you that you do not need to worry about making your life clean. He will. He will. What you need to do is simple. Simple yet difficult. Receive him. Receive him. Receive him. And realize that it is God's sovereignty that brought you here tonight. 
brought you here tonight. So this is what I want to do. I want to pray for you. I know this is really exposing. I'm not going to make you raise your hand. I'm not going to make you come forward. But I know that there's some stuff going on in this room tonight that pertains to this. And I know in one way, shape, or form, you live in the the same world I do. And you know that the rest of your life will not be easy. You're going to have opportunities to compromise. You're going to have opportunities to bow your knee. You're going to have opportunities to open that door. And I want want to invite you into something sweeter tonight. I want you to taste and see God's grace, his mercy for your life. This is why Jesus came. This is why he died. It's for the shame and for the guilt that some of you are experiencing really heavy right now so that you could know you are not your sin. You're not your sin. You've been bought at a price. Your identity rests within the blood of Jesus Christ. Habba, right? Like this is what it's about. It's that we would trade in the old self as 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, and what? We would be made a new creation. So this is what I want to do. Can you bow your heads? Jake, can you bring the lights down? And you know what? I, I want to, let's bring him even down on the, on the stage here, Jake. I, I want to take it a, a step further. Um, if you're able where you are, could you get on your knees? If you're comfortable with it, if you're not comfortable with it, that's totally cool. You can sit down, you can do whatever. Um, and here's the thing. I think, I think what the enemy wants you to feel right now is shame, is condemnation. But what the invitation of the gospel is right now is that God wants you to say, no, no, no. I want to make you new. I want to set you free. I want to show you that there's another way. There's another way. Before we look at that other way, I think what we need to start is just simply realizing God has chosen to forgive you in me tonight. Because of the finished work of Jesus, we can make that statement with confidence. God has chosen to forgive every person in this room tonight for where we have fallen short. And so, just as, as the band plays, I, I want you to simply receive forgiveness. And if you don't see that you're in need of forgiveness, then this isn't going to be helpful for you. If you're okay and you think it's right that you're doing life your own way, and that's the way that it should be, this doesn't matter. I want to I endear you and love you enough to say, God is better. He's better. So Father, I lift up your children tonight, myself, my brothers, my sisters. And I pray right now, like a wave across the room. Forgiveness from you would be received. brothers and sisters, my son, my daughter, you are forgiven. You are not your sin. You are not your brokenness. You are my son. You are my daughter. I delight in you. I want to restore you. I'm here to put you back together.
pray in the name of Jesus that burdens would just begin to fall right now just from that truth. You are forgiven. You're forgiven. Your slate has been washed clean and has been made new by the blood of Jesus Christ. You're forgiven. knowing that and more than knowing it after receiving it I want you to hear him say these words I want to make you new I want to make you new I want to restore you I want to put what's been broken what's been violated what's been violated what's been stolen part of your brokenness, every part of your weakness, every part of your sinfulness. And he'll utilize it to show you how much he loves you. He wants to make you new. He wants to make you new. He wants to restore you. So Father, would you do it? Right now in the name of Jesus, I pray you would restore, put back together every man every woman in this room, I pray right now you would begin to break the chains of every pornographic addiction in this room right now, God. Father, I pray you would begin to break every emotional codependent attachment that any person in this room has with someone that they shouldn't. I pray that you would begin to make clean and wash and make new the relationships that are taking place in this room right here, right now. Would you show us a better way? Would you take us off the ones listening to the door? And would you stand in our place? Would you silence the voice of the accuser? Would you make whole our identity tonight? Would you show us that you're sweeter than honey? More satisfying than bread? More quenching than water? Restore. Oh, would you restore us, oh God? As the worship team, uh, we're going to go back into this song, Tremble. I, um, I just want to encourage you to like realize who's standing in your corner this evening. Like God is not just standing over you. He is standing with you. And these words, Jesus, Jesus, the Messiah, the lamb that was slain, the great I am. He is the one that is staring your sin, your brokenness in the face. And whatever it is that you've carried in here with you tonight, it does not have more power than him. He makes it tremble. It's got to bow its knee to him. It's got to bow its knee to him. So let your confidence be restored, be regained. God is for you. He is not against you. He's for you. So as the worship team goes back into the song, stir up your faith. Stir up your faith. Actually believe that God is who he says he is. Stand firm. Hold fast. And where you fall short, know that his grace meets you there. The Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come? Would you come?
Thanks again for listening to this message from New Life Student Ministries. If you want to keep up with what's happening with us, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at NL Student Ministries.